What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to the Verse Church podcast. This is a message from our Sunday morning service recorded live in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Enjoy. All right, so last week, Pastor Jake covered 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14. And he's going to pick right up where he left off next week. But I'm stoked because the message I'm bringing you today fits nicely right in this little, this little gap here. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. And look at the end of verse 14. It says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now look at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. How do we gain a strength that we need to live and survive in a world that's passing away? 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our bodies are passing away, our possessions are passing away, our friends are passing away, our money, our memory, our momentary vapor of life will pass away. So how do we stand strong when everything around us seems to be like sand just falling through our hands? How do you stand strong when you have cancer? How do you stand strong when you lose your job? How do you stand strong when your family life is insane? How do you stand strong when you're bullied or made fun of? How do you stand strong when all you feel is weak? I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. The word of God abides in you. In between you are strong and you have overcome is the word of God. You don't overcome the evil one because you're young and physically strong, right? You overcome the evil one by the word of God. You are strong because of the word of God. Look at Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jeremiah 23, 29 says this, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? 1 Thessalonians 2, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, 
which is at work in you believers. The word of God is living, it's active, it's powerful, and it's working in believers. We need to hear his word every day. We need to read it, memorize it, sink our teeth into it, meditate on it, delight in it every day. So we're going to dive deep into the Word of God, into a passage about supernatural strength, how to gain more strength than what you have right now. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, Lord, we come to you once again. I ask that you be with me. I am weak, but you are strong. For your name's sake, for your glory, God, be with your people. Open our eyes to your truth and to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And if you don't have your Bible, we're going to have it on the screen for you, of course. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to go 14 through 21. Let's read together. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read this text like five more times. I'm going to drop the mic. I'm going to walk off the stage. And we're all going to go to Hurricane Mouse. What else is there to say about this? <laughs> Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, all that we think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And somebody say, Amen. The word of God is powerful. It is at work within us. Let's dig in. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. The Father. Jesus, the only Son of God, says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. Jesus said, call my Father your Father. Wow. God? Yeah. King? Yeah. Ruler? Lord? Master? Almighty, sovereign, creator, and father. Your father in heaven knows what you need. Your father in heaven cares for you and loves you. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We're all a part of the family. You have a loving father and you have a loving family. Many people don't come from a loving family. But we have one now in Christ. <laughs> Think about it. This is your real family. We have brothers and sisters who have gone before us and many more who will come after us. 
And one day we're gonna meet them all on the biggest party ever. And we'll be together forever. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. We all have Christian brothers and sisters who annoy us and anger us, right? Am I the only one? Come on. Especially if you come from past church experiences where someone in the church hurt you. An eternity in heaven filled with church people might not sound so heavenly, to put it lightly. But let your hearts not be troubled. The greatest joys we experience in Christian community, this side of heaven, are just a tiny flicker of light. And as wonderful and hopeful and warm as that tiny flicker of light may seem to us now, the unbridled love and joy and glory that we will experience in the presence of God made holy, made new. I mean, when I say the biggest party ever, I'm not exaggerating. In fact, my language doesn't even do it justice. My greatest words would still be too dim for the reality that's coming at us. No sin, no pain, no fighting, no crying, no selfishness, no one left out, no one overlooked, everyone a part of the family, Everyone with plenty of friends, no gossip, no backstabbing. You can count on everyone to have your back forever. And when you see that Christian who hurt you here on earth, who sinned against you here on earth, when you see them in heaven, he or she will be forgiven as you have been forgiven. All their sin paid for, all their sin washed away. Not a speck of dust of the hurtful person they once were will remain on them. It's not because of them. It's because of who? Jesus. We will be glorified and we will never have to war with sin again. Wrongs will be made right. Friendships restored. And God the just and justifier will wipe away every tear and heal every wound. I get this image of a, of a parent and a little kid scrapes his knee playing, runs over to the parent. Most of y'all have probably experienced this. The parent picks him up, you know, wipes off the knee, maybe kisses him, blows on the little knee, whatever parents do, and then, you know, pats him on the butt, and the kid just runs and plays again with a big old smile on his face like nothing ever happened. That's kind of the picture that comes to my mind. We have a perfect, joyful father, and we will have a redeemed, purified happy family. All right, let's look back at the text. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul is praying for his, for his brothers and sisters that God would strengthen them. Verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory. How much is that? The riches of his glory. We don't add to his glory. The glory of God is infinite. The glory of God is his infinite worth on display. The radiance of his holiness, the radiance of his manifold, infinitely worthy, valuable perfections and power on display. So, according to the riches of his glory, 
his infinite riches he may grant you to be strengthened with power. I would say that's a lot more power than we have right now on our own. Look at Colossians 1.11. It says it like this. Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might. According to his glorious might. According to his riches. According to the riches of his glory. His power according to him in you. More power, more energy than a billion suns inside of you. It's so mind-blowing. It doesn't even, you can't even grasp it. Look back at verse 16. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit, or through his Spirit, in your inner being. His Spirit in us. Colossians 1.29 says this. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. All right, so here's the thing. Humans are capable of incredible feats, right? We put a man on the moon. We built the pyramids by our hands. We conquered continents. We created art that still moves generations. We survived and endured countless catastrophes. We get knocked down and we come back even stronger. No doubt, men and women have incredible strength. We're made in the image of God. But there's a battle waging inside of us and around us that we cannot win on our own. That's why someone can bench 325 but treat his wife like dirt. That's why someone can excel in the workplace but leave his family behind. That's why someone can be the life of the party but struggle with loneliness and depression. That's why someone can have more money than most people and still feel empty. There's a battle waging inside of us. Don't you feel it? I do. And there's a battle waging around us that we desperately need help for. Look at this. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a battle waging at home, at work, at school, in yourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor and theologian in Germany during the rise of Hitler. He was raised a pacifist, but eventually became a part of a plot to overthrow and later to assassinate Hitler. <clears throat> While traveling to church conferences over Europe, he made it his mission to help Jews escape Nazi oppression. I'm going to read you this excerpt. He had gone to America to become a guest lecturer, but he couldn't shake the feeling of responsibility for his country. Within months of his arrival, he wrote to a theologian friend, I have made a mistake in coming to America. I must live this, I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the Christian people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Eventually his resistant efforts, mainly his role in rescuing Jews, was discovered. 
On an April afternoon in 1943, two men arrived in a black Mercedes, put Bonhoeffer in the car, and drove him to Tegel Prison. Bonhoeffer spent two years in prison, corresponding with family and friends and pastoring fellow prisoners. Eventually, Bonhoeffer was transferred from Tegel to Buchenwald and then to the extermination camp at Flossenburg. On April 9th, 1945, one month before Germany surrendered, he was hanged with six other resistors. He was only one year older than me when he died. A decade later, a camp doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's hanging described the scene. The prisoners were taken from their cells and the verdicts of court-martial read out before them. Through the half-open door in one room of the hut, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer, then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. There was a world war, and there was a spiritual war happening. A global war and a heavenly war. On the world stage, submission and execution look a lot like defeat. But on the heavenly stage, submission to the will of God, who holds the world in his hands, who defeated death, Oh, death, where is your sting? That's victory. Did you notice what the doctor noticed? He said, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father to be strengthened. In his final moments, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was on his knees before his God to be strengthened. What is your reason? What do you need to get on your knees for? What do you need strength for? Look at Psalm 105, verse 4. It says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Seek the Lord, seek His strength, and seek His presence continually. When God created us, it wasn't a set it and forget it type of existence. He spoke into being the need for us to continually draw our strength from Him. We eat every day, we sleep every night. Our bodies won't survive without this rhythm. So it is with our relationship with God. Seek His presence continually, consistently. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Look at Genesis 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Because of our sin, our shame, our rebellion, we are tempted to not seek his presence, but to hide from him. Spend time in his word. 
Spend time in prayer. Spend time in His presence. Spend time with Him. The problem is, we don't have the strength to fight the unseen battles inside of us, outside of us. The solution is to gain strength other than our own from God through His Spirit. Because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Everything is at stake. Your life, your family, your future, your calling. If we don't take this unseen battle seriously, we could be getting chewed up and not even know it. Let's go back to verse 16. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. An old theologian once said, it is not enough that he be on the tongue, a flip through the brain, the heart is his proper seat so that Christ may dwell or abidingly make his abode in your hearts through faith. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. The picture is of, of a tree and its roots sinking down into what? Love. Love. The first fruit of the Holy Spirit. Flowing from Christ's love realized in the soul. Now, do you guys remember? I think it was the first time I ever preached here. Back in Romans, our, our series in Romans, is chapter 5, and this verse stuck with me. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. It's an experience. Doctrine is essential. The mind, but the heart cannot be left behind. The experience. You can know a lot. I've known, I've been in church my whole life. I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in it. And I've seen a lot of people know a lot of Bible and then abandon their faith. Knowing something is only half of what God has given to us. We have to experience it. We have to walk with him. We have to spend time with him. Look at verse 17 again. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is mind-blowing right it's taken me 12 pages of notes to get to my sermon title check it out how to gain spiritual strength and experience mind-blowing love do you see the paradox there how can you know something that surpasses knowledge i love it i know my wife and i continue to discover wonderful things about her and she's finite, she's human. To know the love of Christ, infinite God, that surpasses knowledge is to experience his infinite love that will both satisfy us and keep us coming back for more. 
finding new glorious discoveries in his infinite love. Here's the thing, we're never gonna get bored. A lot of us are bored in church because that's all we have is church, religion. Of course it's boring. That should not be a hobby. Like having a boat is a hobby. Church is not a hobby. It's all pointing towards knowing Christ. If all you have is church, no bueno. Boring. Knowing God, never boring because he's infinite. All right, so let's look at this. Now, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? The breadth in implies Christ's worldwide love, embracing people across every culture line, every tongue, every tribe, every race. If the love of Christ reaches across racial lines, then indeed we should be reaching across racial lines if we have the love of Christ within us. The length of Christ's love extends throughout all generations. The length goes on forever. This uh, verse was brought to my mind, Psalms 103. As far as the east is from the west, you know this, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The depth of love is how far he sunk to save us. Think about the depth being how far Christ, God himself, sunk to save us, not just from heaven to earth, but below it in his death. In the height of his love, lifting us up with him, out of reach of every foe, out of our pit of despair and death, The more we read his word, the more time we spend in prayer, the more we are in his presence, the more strength we will have to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of his love. Now look at verse 20. This is his closing in this passage. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask for or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul's heart is soaring right here. This is a doxology. This is like a song, like a prayer. He's praising right here. To the one who can do far more than all that we have asked and all that we can think. Is there anything that seems impossible in your life right now? Because God can do more. Is there a lost cause? Is there a too late? Is there a don't even bother? Try God. And if you've tried God, keep trying. Keep asking. Keep praying. Keep getting on your knees. The whole Bible points towards that. Not just, hey, Lord, uh, here's my request. I'm going to drop it off in the plate. No, it's continually seeking him over and over and over until the day you die. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. We don't have what it takes, but the one who does is with us. His power is working within us. God loves to give his people, his children, power in their time of need. Now I want to show you this, this acronym that has helped me, and I believe it's going to help you. It's called Aptat. Sounds like a rap. If I had a rap album, no, never mind. It's a terrible, terrible joke. Anyway, Aptat. 
Now, the A stands for admit you can do nothing without God. And the verse that corresponds, John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first step is to admit you can do nothing without God. The second step is P, pray for help. Psalm 50, 15, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Next is T, and it stands for trust a specific promise. Look at 2 Chronicles 20, 20. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. The word of God. So far we have admit, pray for help, and trust. Okay, so, for instance... You have a situation, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do it. You admit your need to yourself and to God. I can't do it, Lord. I can't do it without you. You said it in your word. I can't do this. You ask him for help. That's the second step. Pray. Lord, I need your help. Third step, trust a specific promise for your specific need. All right, let's check this out. So let's say you're afraid. Let's say you're struggling with fear. You go to his word. You find a promise for your specific situation. Let's check out Isaiah 41.10. You're having a problem with fear. You look at his word. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And you trust him. You let his word abide in you. You memorize it. Let's pick another situation. How about temptation? Okay, you got temptation, you admit, oh my goodness, I need your help. You pray for help, you find a verse to help. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is perfect. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And you hide his word in your heart. And when temptation comes, you can recall, he will also provide a way of escape. And so you admit, oh my goodness, I can't do this. Pray for help, Lord, I need you. Here's the scripture. You're going to provide a way of escape. Lord, I'm trusting you. And you can even pray, God, every temptation is common. Okay? And you are faithful, though. You're not going to let me be tempted beyond what I can handle. You're going to provide a way of escape, I'm asking you, show me the way of escape right now. That's how you do it. And that brings us to the fourth step. Is act. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Now this is walking by faith. You can sit on your couch, admitting your need, praying for help, memorizing scripture, God, I can't do this alone. God, please help. God, here's my verse. But you have to put your faith to work and get up. In fact, James tells us, 
in an in-your-face sort of way. If you don't act, then you don't really believe. If we don't act on our faith, then we really don't believe. Look at James 2, 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith without action is dead. So we admit we can't do anything without God. We pray and we ask God for his help. We trust a specific promise for our specific need. And then we act in faith. The scripture for this is Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here it is. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we work, trusting that God is working in our working. Let me say that again. I mix that up. We work, trusting God is working in our working. That's also that's like another mind-blowing thing. Like you keep reading this, you're just going to get like blown away over and over. Because sovereign God is working in you to want to obey. And then he works in you to obey. But you have to work at the same time. You see that? It's another paradox thing. Some people say, I'm doing this on my own to please God. And God's like, no, you're not doing it on your own. And other people are like, I'm not going to do it because I can't do it on my own. So I'm not going to do it. And God's like, no, do it because I'm doing it in you. Does that make sense? It's awesome. All right, let's move on. All right, so the last step is another T, which stands for thank God for his provision and goodness. This comes from Psalm 106. Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. God loves to help his children. God knows we can't make it alone. And God will strengthen us when we ask, when we seek him. Let's go back to World War II. In May 1940, the Germans invaded the Netherlands. A Dutch Christian named Corrie ten Boom was a local watchmaker. She also established a youth club for teenage girls, which provided religious instruction, as well as performing arts classes and sewing, stuff like that. But she became famous for helping many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust during the war. When she was a little girl, she asked her father this. She said, Daddy, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Tell me, her father wisely responded, when you take a trip on a train to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for a ticket? Three weeks before? No, Daddy, you give me the money for the ticket just before we get on the train. That's right, he replied. And so it is with God's strength. Our wise Father in heaven knows when you're going to need things too. Today, you do not need the strength to be a martyr, but as soon as you're called upon for the honor of facing death for Jesus, he will supply the strength you need just in time. I took great comfort in my father's advice, Corey told her audience. Later, I had to suffer for Jesus in a Nazi concentration camp. 
and he, indeed, gave me the courage and power I needed. Loved ones, God will strengthen you in your hour of need. Whether that's trusting in his provision to pay a bill, or whether that's facing death itself. If it's fighting your unbelief, if it's loving your enemy, if it's faith while waiting for God's provision, God will strengthen you. Let's all pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your strength, Lord. We are weak, but you are strong, Lord. And you know our frame, that we are made from the dust, and you love us as children. You know that it gets scary for us, Lord. So we thank you for your, your patience and your kindness and compassion. So, Father, I ask in your son's name, God, that you would strengthen us right now. Strengthen your people for your glory, for our joy. God, push back the darkness in our life and help our weakness not to get in the way. We trust in you for your strength. Empower us, Lord. Give us joy. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Verse Church Podcast. We're stoked that you joined us. We would like to invite you to join us live Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. For more information or to give to this ministry, visit www.verse.church.